one-and-a-half-minute clip about our study for next year. So I'd love for you just to introduce you quickly. And then our main features coming. week study of the book of First Peter. First Peter is a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago to encourage new believers who were in the early church, but it's every bit as encouraging to believers who are living today. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the headlines, I can lack encouragement. But Peter tells us in his letter that we are called not just to any kind of hope, but to a living hope, a hope that is living because the one who ensured it for us and holds it for us in heaven is alive and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We're going to spend nine weeks digging into this letter. We're going to take our time. We're going to think about the history and the culture into which this letter was originally spoken. And then we're going to draw it forward across the years into our lives today to see how we should live in light of a certain hope that is held for us in heaven. I hope you'll join us as we go through this study of 1 Peter. night and she's perfect as usual thank you um welcome this morning I especially love my new front row friends I'm a little sad that y'all don't do that for the rest of us but and I do see some signs I'm a little having a lot of jealousy but it's the sweetest um I'm so glad you're here it's so unbelievable that the year's coming to an end and next week is our last time together so I want um to, I, I did want to welcome Gloria Fan's mother here from Texas. We are so glad that you are here this morning. Um, also, there's been around 50 of you that have already signed up, so child care spots will be filling up quickly. If you haven't yet signed up, please do so. I want all of you to come back. Um, the format will be similar, but one big difference is instead of splitting the study up into three weeks, she said join us for nine weeks, but I hope you're going to join us for more weeks than that because we're going to be here more weeks than that. But we're going to split each week up into two lessons. There won't be any need for our fa- what we did today um, because we're just going to be walking through the book of First Peter. We won't need a fact lesson application week because we're going to be doing that through the questions, going right through the scripture of First Peter. I'm really excited. I previewed the study, and um, also, which is super cool, Jen Wilkin, the, t- the one that wrote this study and will be providing her lectures, she's going to be here at Providence for the Women's Conference. So I feel like she'll be our new pal, and so we'll just have to keep studying God's Word with her. If you haven't yet signed up for the Women's Conference, hopefully you had a chance to receive a brochure. We've got a few extra if you need one, but she'll be here for that, leading us, and um, I've not... Other than just the videos, I've not seen her teach in person, but everything I've heard has just um, been awesome. A friend of mine's finishing this first Peter study, and she's said, be excited, because it's, um, it's a lot to look forward to. So um, thank you for getting signed up. If you need help, please let us know. Please consider bringing a friend. Um, there's no need for us doing with all these great things happening on Tuesday. There's no need for empty seats, because... Um, 
it's too good. It's too good to miss. So I now would like my friend Joanne to come introduce our very special guest speaker. Hi, my name is Joanne Taylor, and it's my privilege and honor to introduce uh, Trisha to you today. She's in my group this year. I met Trisha um, a couple years ago. We were in Leanne's group together, um, and I remember my first impression of her was that she is truly one who um, has a gentle and quiet spirit, and um, she is sweet um, and encouraging. She also has a a deep bravery about her. I always look at her and think that she is quietly very bold. <laughs> You'll see today she's coming to speak in front of you. And um, I think it's evidence of a, a deep, sweet walk with her Savior and um, a great passion and compassion for others. So I'm excited for you guys to hear her story today. So join me in welcoming Trish Eshelman. <laughs> Oh, I guess I can give this to you. Hang on. Are we okay on the mic? It might be that. Test. Dear God, we just thank you so much for today, God, and I just pray that you'll calm my nerves, Lord, and what, um, Lord, what you want to be heard today, everyone will hear it, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, I'm not going to lie, I was quite caught off guard when Emily Bazemore called me back in November to ask if I would consider sharing with you all. I remember praying, God, I'm at a really low point right now, a spiritual low, do you want me to do words of encouragement? I went ahead and I said yes, but for about three months after that, I went through every scenario in my mind about why I should not share. (laughs) I kept thinking, what if I share something that isn't theologically correct and I lead them astray? I can't even form sentences sometimes with people in the grocery store (laughs) these days. How am I going to talk to a group of women my age and older? I've been so sick lately, I had just found out that I had mono. Um, what if I'm still sick in April? And then I did Priscilla's week on, on, and then I did Priscilla's week on the shield of faith, and it changed my heart entirely about speaking. I became excited to share with you all, and all of those negative thoughts, I realized, as Priscilla describes it, they were fiery darts from Satan, not a no from God. Why wouldn't God want me to share with you all what He has done in my life? It wasn't God telling me not to share, but fear, a dart that Satan uses entirely too much. So as I speak to you right now, I'm holding up my shield of faith, and I'm so thankful that I did not rationalize myself out of obedience to our Lord. I'm in awe of my God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, Ephesians 3.20. And I pray that he will do just that this morning. I want to start off sharing a little bit about my testimony with you all and then share what God has recently been teaching me in life. As I started to write this talk, I began to see my testimony more as a story that isn't complete yet and that I'm right in the middle of 
Yes, my testimony shares when I initially came to know the Lord, but it also is like a living document, something that is ever-changing as my faith gets stronger. After studying Priscilla's chapter on the helmet of salvation, I learned that my salvation isn't meant to be a one-time occurrence, but God has given it to me so that I can apply it to my life now. Priscilla puts it this way, Receiving salvation is not the same as applying salvation. The first redeems us, the second restores us, protects and shields us daily from the attacks of the enemy. I am so thankful for a God who is by my side as I fight the storms in life. When I was trying to figure out just how transparent I wanted to be with you all, an interaction I had with someone probably about 15 years ago kept coming to my mind. Until recently, I hadn't thought about it that much. Back in college, I worked several jobs, and one of them was at Lifeway Christian Bookstores. A customer approached me, and um, she asked help for finding a book about depression. It was obvious she was depressed. She was going through a really difficult time. She just had that defeated look about her. She looked like she was ready to give up. She asked me if I knew of any Christian books that would help her with depression. And much to my own surprise... I shared with her that I'd also struggled with depression and recommended a book that had helped me. I don't know if I would even recommend that book today, but the story really isn't about the book. It's about a response. She said, why would you ever need a book about depression? You don't look like you're depressed. I tell you this story because for much of my life, um, I have looked through tinted glasses at people thinking, wow, they're so normal. They have it all together. And they would never struggle with what I struggle with. I didn't tell this lady many details about my depression, but I want to be authentic with each one of you so that maybe we can start seeing each other through God's eyes, not those tinted glasses, and fight our spiritual battles together. I want to share my story so that you can see how God is my helmet of salvation and daily helps me fight something that Satan wants to defeat me with, and that is depression. Yes, Much to the lady's surprise, I've battled depression since I was 18 years old. I received my clinical diagnosis at 18, but I think it actually started way before that. Growing up wasn't easy. I would often cry myself to sleep, praying that God would change things. Praying that God would keep my family together and that no one would find out about the secrets my family had. When I was young, we went to church and my parents somewhat introduced me to Christ. But I was so confused. At home, there was constant fighting between my parents, loud, cursing, and even violent fighting. And there were so many secrets. My father was an alcoholic, and I clearly remember for two weeks he went away to a rehabilitation center. At only seven years old, I felt a responsibility to protect my family, and I started to strive to make things appear perfect, to make them look much different than they were at home. I would do anything to make things better. I would often think, maybe if I clean the house before my dad gets home, he won't leave. Or maybe I can make my mom more responsible. She won't make my dad so angry. Or maybe if I keep my little brother and sister quiet, my dad will be happy. This is not a responsibility that any little girl should have. And at that age, I didn't understand that this dysfunction was not mine to carry. Enter into my teen years. And getting into college and making A's became an obsession of mine. Even though my parents were still married, there were several financial struggles, and I worked several different jobs so that I could save for college 
because my goal was to get far, far away. I carried secrets that my family had around and what I like to call bags of shame. My family had stopped going to church by then, and my relationship with my parents was very strained. Probably the biggest bag of shame I carried was when I secretly read a letter written by my mom, written to my mom about my dad's struggle with homosexuality. My dad's alcoholism, the violent fights in our home, and now his homosexuality. These were the big bags of shame I carried around with me, and they eventually were too heavy to carry. I hit my lowest point when my dad moved out to live in a homosexual lifestyle, and my parents were in the process of getting a divorce. I felt abandoned, defeated, and alone. I couldn't hide all of these secrets anymore if they were divorced. I had spent my whole childhood trying to hide and fix the dysfunction in our family. I want it to be normal. I wish I knew now, or wish I knew then when I know now, that normal is just a setting on a washing machine. <laughs> After my dad left, the thoughts of suicide began. I remember clearly my lowest point. At 18 years old, I was going to end my life. I had a plan. Satan fed me lies such as, why were you even born if your dad is gay? Or, how can you go to college now? Don't leave your brother and sister like your dad did. And there's no hope for you now. You won't be able to escape. But as I, but as I was about to take those pills, I felt a tug at my heart to go read my Bible, something I did not do often. I opened it. I was crying on my bed, and I opened it up to Joshua 1.9, which says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be fearful. Do not be discouraged. For I am the Lord your God, and I will be with you wherever you go. God was with me. He always had been and always would be with me. I had accepted Christ when I was younger, but it wasn't until then that I realized God was my father who would never leave me. Through him, I did not have to be fearful, and I could be strong enough to go on living the life that I felt I was drowning in. That night, God won. Even though I didn't realize it at the time, I put on that helmet of salvation when I chose to open up my Bible and not give in to Satan's plan to end my life. Today, God is still writing my story. Yes, I believe the night I opened my Bible and God saved me from suicide is when I truly became a believer in Christ. I knew I was God's daughter, and I started reading my Bible more. Despite the lies that I shouldn't leave my family, I ended up going to Meredith College here in Raleigh, and God used Crusade to help grow me spiritually. God placed one wonderful staff family into my life who took me in during holidays when I had no home to go to and who gave me a car when I needed it. He took care of my every financial need, even though I did have a student loan for Meredith. He brought wonderful, supportive Christian friends into my life that I even still have today. He led me to the opposite side of the world to minister to college girls in China who also suffered from depression. And that year in China, well, God used it to develop a desire to adopt our second son, Max. God has worked miracles in my life, and I often hurt for those that are lost, who have no hope in a Savior, who has walked before us and with us. This is my testimony of when I initially came to know the Lord, when he gripped my heart and he gave me a purpose to keep on living. I would love to end my testimony here, hand it to you in a pretty wrapped up box, maybe with some cute paper from Target, and say, here it is. I lived happily ever after. In the depression, it just disappeared. But I can't. 
I can't say that's it. I became a Christian, and life was so pretty after that. It's not my story, and if you are a Christian, more than likely you have discovered that as well. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God doesn't promise a trouble-free life and does not sugarcoat what it means to follow him. Life will be hard and full of battles. Believe me, I believed another lie that Satan sneakily hid into my mind. It started a little like this. You walked down that road of depression. God used it. Don't think twice about it anymore. Priscilla sums up perfectly what I want to say. This is what the devil doesn't want you to know, sis. Because as long as you don't apply salvation to your life, you'll still be vulnerable to his attacks every day for the rest of your life, even if you've gotten saved. This Bible study has been a tool God has used to remind me that every day is a battle. It's as if Priscilla wrote it for me and about me some days. In all of my 35 years of life, I can now look back on my depression and see it as a stronghold that God has, has and is still using, or that Satan has and is still using in my life. By definition, a stronghold is a created resistance to the truth. When battling depression, my mind creates a resistance to the truth which is the very definition of a stronghold. Paul writes about this thorn in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. To keep, me from being be, be, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surprisingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't know exactly what this thorn was in Paul's life, but we do know that it kept him on his knees. He had to fight this thorn, his stronghold, in order to pursue God. Even though I hate depression, it keeps me on my knees. And sometimes this stronghold of depression, this thorn in my side, is too difficult to fight on my own. I have come a long way since the story I told you in the beginning, and I can now tell people without shame that I have seen counselors and I have taken medication. These are tools that God has given me to help fight the stronghold in my life. If I didn't use these tools... I would be walking on that slippery slope of allowing depression to block and keep out my knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking captive every thought to obey Christ. Sometimes we need to take captive our thoughts. When I'm depressed, I find it difficult to even comprehend God's word. I can read the Bible. I can memorize scripture. I can ask for prayer. Those are all good things. But sometimes the stronghold is so great, I can't break through it without help from a counselor and even medication. In the past, I've believed the lie that I'm not a good enough Christian, and that is why my depression hasn't gone away. I've had really great Christian friends with the very best intentions tell me this. We can't always fight the battle alone. If you're diagnosed with any other type of illness, 
Yes, you pray and you draw close to the Lord, but you also seek medical care. It takes courage, and sometimes it's a challenge to get help from the resources God has given us. But when it helps to break the stronghold of depression, it's worth it. I know that Satan also wants this depression to define me, but God won't let it. God has used it for some amazing things, and surprisingly, it was even something that eventually led us to our son, Max. I love hearing people's adoption stories because they're all so different. So I want to share a little bit about the miracle of our Max's adoption. After watching my family fall apart, God started to stir a desire in my heart to one day adopt. Before getting married, I knew my future husband would have to be on the same page about adopting. And even though Dave didn't really think about adoption before getting married, he soon got there. Much to our surprise, right after getting married, I was diagnosed with Graves' disease and endometriosis, two diseases that can make getting pregnant a little more of a challenge. This led us to go ahead and start the adoption process a little earlier in our marriage than we were originally planned. And in the process, we got pregnant with our oldest, Landon. After having Landon, we tried for a few more years to get pregnant again without success, and it soon became just the right time to adopt our son, Max. Um, You can go ahead and put the picture up. So this is our family now. Um, And no, the two little boys in the front are not twins. Um, They're only 10 months apart, but sometimes we have gotten asked actually several times if they're twins. And one is obviously Asian and one is Caucasian. Um, And so I actually did a Google search to see if that was possible, and it is possible to give birth um, to two babies at the same time that are different races, but that was not our story. (laughs) Um, In November 2011, our oldest, Landon, was born. On September 15, 2014, at two years old, Max became an Eshelman. And much to our surprise, about 14 months later, we welcomed our daughter, Lila, into the world. Like I mentioned before, I'd spent a year in China, in, a year in China ministering to college students, and China became such a special place in my heart. My love for China, plus my love for adoption, never went away, and I just knew God had called me to one day adopt from China. When we started researching adoption, I soon found out about the sometimes hard-to-meet requirements that China has for adoptive families. One of the requirements that China had at the time was that no parent could be on or had taken antidepressants in the past. This was heartbreaking for me, and I couldn't figure out why God would place this desire on my heart if it just couldn't happen. We researched about adoption from foster care in other countries, but doors kept closing, and my desire to adopt from China never went away. I kept praying that God would take away that desire or that he would somehow make it happen. Well, he decided to make it happen. Thanks to the internet, I learned about adoptive parents who had previously been diagnosed with depression who were getting waivers to adopt children with certain special needs from China. Dave and I had already decided that we wanted to adopt a child who was a little bit older, and we were open to special needs. So we took a leap of faith, applied for the waiver, and we got it. Only God could take this thing I hated so much, depression, and use it to lead us to our son. God handpicked Max for our family. He is even from the exact same city that I lived in China for a year. China is big, so only God could orchestrate this. 
We love him with a fierce love and can't imagine life without our energetic and hilarious little boy. Before we got the waiver to adopt Max, we did a lot of research about a special need, from my, um, a special need which is microtia atresia. It's, he has significant hearing loss, but with the help of his hearing aid, he's able to hear. Um, we live right down the street from UNC, which is one of the best pediatric audiologist departments in the U.S. He's able to attend a preschool for kids with hearing loss at Lacey Elementary and is now talking in sentences and can hear with the help of his hearing aid. Without having to get this waiver to adopt from China because of my depression, we may never have found our max. God doesn't, write the mo- doesn't God write the most beautiful stories in the midst of our heartache? He is our author, an author who journeys through our stories with us. I can't say that I'm thankful for depression. I don't know of anybody who could. But I can say this. God has given me our armor to fight it. And I have continuously seen him win the battle of depression that I live with. Over the last year or so, God has kept pressing on my heart to reach out to women about my battle with depression. I've often thought, I wonder if there's a ministry for women struggling. And of course, I just put it to the side. So here I am, being very vulnerable with you all. (laughs) Never thought I would be this vulnerable. (laughs) Um, And hoping that God would use my vulnerability for his glory. So even if any one of you... Even if one of you finds a little bit of hope from my story, it was worth it. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, she did deserve the posters, for sure. It was awesome. Can I just close um, for us in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just so overwhelmed as I was sitting thinking of how the leadership team prayed this past summer. First and foremost, on my heart was a spirit of transparency within this ministry. And Lord, I just am so overwhelmed that you would um, open Trisha's heart to be so transparent with us. And just, Lord, um, how beautiful, how beautiful that story is that you've given her, and um, Lord, I just pray that you would give her many, many more opportunities to use it. I pray, I know that there's one in this room, if not many, that just needed to hear that, and I thank you in advance for how you might use that to encourage. Lord, I lift up the Eshelman family to you, and Lord, I just thank you for them, and I pray your continued blessings upon their family. Lord, and little Max, Lord, that you would just continue to heal him and Thank you for just medical care and just um, bringing him to just the perfect home that you designed for him. So, Lord, we need you. We love you. I just thank you so much for all your many blessings. I leave today with just many, many nuggets of truth from you, and I'm overwhelmed. And I pray that each of these women just have something that um, they feel like was just for them this morning. And would you bring us all back together next week, Lord, to finish strong to just encourage and love and uh, one another and glorify you and just, um, Lord, give you just your rightful praise and honor. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.